What's up, Third Street? I was telling my huddle uh, this past week that it seems to me that no matter what it is that Corey gives me to preach, no matter what the scripture says, it always comes back to being selfless, of thinking of someone else rather than yourself. Um, maybe I have been so selfish in my life that God is just hitting me with scripture after scripture that is reminding me that it is not about me. Um, in preparing for this scripture, in preparing for this message, there was three things that I kept asking God. Uh, someone told me once uh, the best thing to do when you're struggling with something is just ask God questions. And, and the three words that I kept asking God was how, how why, and, and I know this doesn't seem like a question, but what? So today we're in um, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. You guys good today? It's pretty quiet in here. And it reads as such. Think this in yourselves. I, I stopped there for so long. Think this in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider being equal with God something to be grasped. But emptying himself by taking the form of a slave, by becoming in the likeness of people and being found in appearance like a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. That is death on a cross, just so that it would not be misconstrued. It is talking about the death on the cross. Therefore, also God exalted him and graciously granted him the name above every name. So that the name at, so at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So, again, the question that I kept asking myself is why? What does commitment to Christ mean? actually look like I want to tell you about the day that I met him not the day that I heard of him not the day that I seen him but the day that I actually met him I'll tell you about the day I met LeBron James it was in between my sophomore and junior year. No, 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 no. It was my junior year. It was right before the season started. It wasn't in the summer. I met him in the sophomore, my sophomore going into my junior year, in, in visual. But the first time that I actually met him was my junior year. It was in the preseason. We had a scrimmage against St. V. And we actually won the scrimmage. I played for a pretty good basketball team. And I remember it like it was yesterday. High screen and roll. LeBron's coming off the screen, and I yell, switch. So now I'm guarding the king. And he came downhill. So if you guys remember what LeBron James looked like, 2000, 2001, um, I looked exactly like I look now, 35 to 40 pounds less. 
And he looks exactly like he looks now, but exactly the same. So he came downhill, and the only option that I had was to just stand there. And he ran me clean over. He took two more steps, and then he dunked it. But I heard a whistle. I looked up, and the referee was like this. It was a charge. The one possession that I had against LeBron James as a defender, I shut him down. So a couple plays later, same call, but now it's for me. And I come off the screen. And LeBron James takes two steps backwards because I was a pretty quick guy. And I'm guessing he thought I was going to take it to the hole, but I didn't. I pull up for three. Chicago. The one possession that he had against me, nothing but net. So we played him three quarters. I didn't guard him more than once. He didn't guard me more than once. But as the story is told by me, I got the best of him. So if you know anything about a scrimmage or a game, at the end you go through the line, you shake hands. I actually knew a lot of players that played on LeBron's team. I played AAU with a couple of guys, and one of their names was LJ. So when I got to the end of the line, I stopped, I talked to LJ, we chopped it up, and LeBron and Drew Joyce and a couple other guys were just standing next, talking to one another. And if you know a lot about the game of basketball, if you play on a good team, there's a lot of communication. There's a lot of talking. And again, not to brag, but I was kind of good in high school. So a lot of times people were yelling my name, whether it was for a defensive assignment or to give me the ball. And then, like I said, I'm sitting here chopping it up with LJ, who I've known since elementary school, and we're saying each other's name back and forth. So when everything was done and we're walking away from each other, I said, all right, LJ, all right, Drew, all right, Brian. And Brian said to me, all right, KT, the king knew my initials. My first question for you today is, how do you think of you? How do you, exclamation point, think of you, question mark. The first scripture that we have in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, think this in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. When you think of you, do you think of Christ? Is there something that's happened in your life that has allowed for you to think of anything else but Jesus when you think of yourself? Paul was saying this very, very urgently in the top of the verse. When you think of you, think of Christ. Has something happened in your life that's make you think so lowly of yourself? or too high of yourself, that when you think of you, you don't think of Jesus. So let me finish my jail story from last week. So the ending of my jail story is when my fiance comes to see me. She is pregnant with Jeremy and Jordan. And right before she leaves in our conversation, She gives me the glass love. If you don't know what the glass love is, it's when you've had this conversation to the end and one of the guards come up to you and they say, hey, time up. And you have to look at the other person on the other end of the glass and try to figure out a way to say I'm gone. And the way that we did it is exactly how you see it on TV. 
She put her hand on the glass. Put your hand up, baby. And I put my hand on the glass. Glass love. And I left that moment and I went back to my jail cell. I went back to the room that was given to me. And I was angry. Because at this moment, again, as I was telling you a couple weeks ago, I didn't know if I was getting out anytime soon. I didn't know if she was going to give birth to my children while I was locked up. So I'm angry and, and, and I'm ready to accuse God. I'm ready to yell at him. I, I approached him with indignation. I approached him ready to, I wanted to put shackles on his name. I, I'm in this prison cell and, and I wanted to put him in the same cell as me. I wanted to let him know that I had given up on any thought process of his name having power in my life. Ooh, you about to be mad at me. I need you to get up real quick, uh, Jada. Can you, um, can you throw up, I, th I think it's in John. Can you throw up John 18, verse 4? I met him in my cell. I came to accuse him. I came to put his name in chains. I had an angry tone. And before I knew it, that turn, that, that tone of anger, it turned into, it turned into tears. Because I had stopped thinking about myself and I had start thinking about my fiance. I had start thinking about my children to be. And right when I got to the point to where I stopped thinking about myself, I met him. I'm not talking about the king now. I'm talking about the king of kings. It says in John 18, 4, then Jesus, because he knew all the things that were coming upon him, went out and said to them, who are you looking for? Raj, you know, I love this verse right here. They replied to him, Jesus, the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he. Now, Judas, the son who betrayed him, was also standing with them. So when he said to them, I am he, the Bible says they drew back to the ground. These people came to Jesus in the same exact posture that I came to Jesus with. They came to accuse him. They came to arrest him. They came to put his name in shackles. They came to put his body in shackles. They came to abuse him. They came to disrespect him. But when he introduced himself to them, when he said, I am, the Bible says that they fell back to the ground and began to worship him. Could you imagine the scene when these soldiers came forth to arrest Jesus and by the sound of the name I am, they had no choice but to change every emotion that they had came to him with and they began to worship him. He actually had to say to them again and remind them what they were there for in order for them to stop worshiping him and arrest him. This is the posture that Jesus allowed for me to be in. He had to remind me what I was supposed to be doing, what, what I thought I had came to my jail cell to do, which was accuse him, to tell him what he should have been doing. You ever thought so highly of yourself that you start to think that God owes you 
that the world it owes you. You start to think that you're you're worthy of something specific. In the Bible, there's a Greek word. It's called harpagmus. Now, next week, Corey might come up here and he might pronounce it the correct way. It's Greek, and I believe it's called harpagmus. In the Bible, it says that he thought that being equal with God was not robbery. That robbery word right there. In the Greek, it's called harpagmus. It's never used again. It's called harpagmus. And if you look in different versions of the Bible, it says it different. In one version, I believe believe in the King James, it says he thought it not robbery. In the Lexham Bible, it says, um, let me me get it. It says he, he thought being equal with God, something not to be grasped. If you look in the NRSV version, which is the most text critical version to the Greek, it says it's not something that should be exploited. What God seen very, very early, and we're not talking about right before he was born to to Mary, but we're talking about in the beginning of time, he seen that it was Harpagmus. Ooh, this word is good. Hopefully I don't mess it up. A lot of us feel like we are being robbed of something that we deserve. We've taken on an Adam complex that we deserve something. But let me share this with you. Same thing that Adam found out the hard way. The you and you will never be satisfied. The Bible says that nothing that is natural, nothing that is worldly will ever satisfy the the Lord, but only the spirit of God can satisfy him. God gave Adam everything that he could possibly, possibly give him. He gave Adam everything that he needed to know how important he was, but he still wanted something more. He still yearned for more. And when, and when, and when, and when the snake came, when the evil one came and told him what God was holding back from him, he thought it was robbery. Satan confused him. Satan, Satan showed him a way that he felt like he was being exploited. He felt like he was being robbed. He felt like there was something that he needed to grasp, hold on to. I asked the question to God while I was in my jail cell. Why? Why am I here? Why can't I be free? Me, me, me. Every question that I have for him was just wrapped around me. But when I stopped thinking about myself and start thinking about somebody else, that's when he showed me him. He showed me who he was. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. If we refer backwards, can we, can we put that Philippians back up? He tells us what mind it is that he wanted us to have and why directly before. Can we go to verse one? I'm so disrespectful. I apologize. It's my fault. 
Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's anything that can encourage you, any consolation, any prize, any reward that comes along with love, any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and compassion complete my joy so that you are in agreement, having the same love, united in spirit, having one purpose, do nothing selfish. Do nothing according to the selfish ambition or according to the empty conceit, but in humility, considering one another better than yourselves. Each of you not looking out for your own interests, but also each of you for the interests of others. Think this in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider it. What does he want you to do? He wants you to think of you like you think of him. When you think of Christ, the first thing you think of is sacrifice. Why is that not the first thing you think of when you think of you? Woo! Telling you this word is good. Who do you think you are? So, 2009, take Jeremy and Jordan to a Cleveland Cavaliers game. My uncle was the head security guard at the time. And I know that I'm going to show these three to four years old. I don't know if there was three or four. I'm going to show these guys that I know LeBron James. So whenever we went to a game, my uncle would always put us all the way down, like literally all the way down on the floor. And before the games would start, before, you know, Jeremy was like one and, and all that type of stuff. They just stayed with their mom and me and Candace would go to the games. But this time it was a little bit older. They was old enough to know who LeBron James was. And I'm about to show them that I know LeBron. So before the game starts, I'm down on the floor. The Cavs run out. I see Brian. I say the same thing I said to him in 2000. All right, Brian. He said, on my mama, he said, all right, Barbara. He remembered that I played from Barbara. And I was so full of pride. He remembered when I hit that shot on him. That's what I said to him myself in my head. He remembered exactly what school I went to. No. All he remembered was that he seen me before. But I thought so highly of myself that I literally thought that one possession in 2000 was going to hold up to this dude who's now playing for the Cleveland Cavaliers in 2009. Nine years later, I really thought that he would remember me. And it meant so much to me. I made plans. I called my uncle. Let me put it like this. Ooh, thank you, Jesus. I called my uncle to set up my uncle, putting me on the floor so that I can set up my sons to see me talk to LeBron. But I haven't called my uncle since then to introduce him to Jesus. How much do you think of you? The little bit that he remembered of me, I grasped it. It's 2023. I still remember it. <laughs> I held on to it. Brings me to my second point. When you feel like you're being robbed, you grasp. The Bible says he did not think it was equal. He did not think being equal to God was something to be grasped. He was willing to let go being equal with God. 
God is trying to take something from you. I'm going to call it robbery. We talked about it with the word that we spoke of earlier that I don't remember. God is trying to make you surrender something. But because you feel like he wants something that you're supposed to have, you're holding on to it instead of surrendering. God don't have a gun to you. But if you've ever been robbed before, your first instinct is not to drop everything you have. Your first instinct is to grasp. God is holding you up. And what are you grasping a hold on to? Because you believe that it's something that you deserve. You're willing to die for what you're holding on to instead of dying to what you're holding on to. You're willing to die for what you're holding on to instead of dying to what you're holding on to. The key word is harpagmus. Now, harpagmus is interpreted as the holding of a privilege which opens up the future possibility of advantage. If only the possessor will exploit it to his own profit. I'm going to say that one more time because I know a lot of you like to take notes. Harpagmus is interpreted as holding on to a privilege. And the privilege, it opens you up to future possibilities of advantage. If only the possessor will exploit it to his own profit. The Bible said that God was willing as Christ to let go of being equal with God. The privilege, which opens him up to a future possibility. There was only two possibilities for Jesus. Either stay as God or die. And he chose to give up being God the future possibility to die. The exploitation that we see in NRSV version. He thought it not worthy to exploit. Why? Because Jesus was in a position of privilege. And he had every reason to take advantage of being God. But the antonym of exploitation is self-sacrifice. Jesus was so cold that he was God and he recognized that he was God and he didn't find being God as enough to hold on to. And then Jesus said that you shall be me. And he's trying to make you him. But you find being equal with him as something that you should grasp. What is it about your life that is making you grasp and hold on to things rather than let go? Adam was created in the image of God. That word image can be used as glory. He was created in the glory of God, created to be equal. He was told that he could name everything. He had power over everything. But he thought that being equal with God was something to be grasped. And he ended up losing the image of God, the glory of God altogether. And then Jesus being put in that same position chose the opposite. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. 
Whatever it is that God is trying to take from you, don't consider it robbery. But when it says seek ye first, the seeking is a violent search. You ever been looking for something violently? You ever had everything that you needed, but then you realize there's one thing that I'm missing. And the thing that you're missing the most is the most important thing that you have. Like you don't hold on to everything while you search for things because I can't move this when I'm holding on to this. I can't, I can't see under this jacket or around this purse when I'm, you have to let go of the things that you're holding on to in order to search violently for the kingdom of God. And the Bible says when you search violently for the kingdom, everything that you've been looking for your whole life in Christ will be added unto you. Why was Jesus so willing to let go? I think it was because he trusted that the Holy Spirit would give him all the things that he would need in order to be himself. How much do we truly trust in the spirit of God? He said, I willingly lay down my life because I know that the father gives me what I need to pick it back up. Leads me to step three. How will you behave on your cross? As amazing as some of us are, we're not willing to die. How do you see your crucifixion? How do you see the cross that you bear? How do you see your pain? How do you see your sorrow? Have you separated your pain from your reward? I think we think that the resurrection nullifies the crucifixion. That that the that the like the resurrection and the crucifixion are separate. We've been, we've been separating our pain from our reward. It's, it's because of what went wrong that right is good. Your cross and your crown are together. It says, blessed are those who mourn. But you can't separate the mourning from the blessing. You can't separate the persecution from the kingdom. To be persecuted means to be pursued by suffering. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be persecuted means to be followed by suffering. The Bible says that you are blessed when that is happening. Jesus said to his disciples, you all, you will have trouble in this world. But he said, don't be frightened by the trouble. Don't be frightened by the world. Don't be frightened by the suffering because I've already had victory over the world. He's seen very cleanly and very clearly what the disciples would be troubled by 
And you can see it by how he behaved on the cross. I'm going to say this. I'm going to get out you guys' way. How do you see yourself behaving on the cross when you're being crucified? When you're crying out because they're nailing you to something. Jesus was greater than all the situations that he was greater than. And we behave less than in situations that we're greater than. To be holy literally means to be above something, to be a step above something. He says, I need you to be holy as I am holy. I need you to be a step above. I need you to be greater than something. I used to, I used to always preach about how people would say, once you got saved, you changed. Like, duh. And the reason why was because once I became saved, I started to incre- by incrementally understanding that there are situations that I'm greater than. I'm better than arguing with you about this. I'm greater than being upset with you about this. I'm greater than being on this cross, but acting like I'm rolling on the ground. Nah, that's too deep. There was a curse that was given to the snake and said that he would roll on the ground. So there's a behavior that comes along with rolling on the ground as a snake. Some of us act like the snake when we're supposed to be on the cross. And how did Jesus behave on the cross? He didn't act like a snake. The serpent came and tried to tell someone that they were less than who they were. And that's how we behave when we're supposed to be behaving like Jesus behaved on the cross. How did Jesus speak to his enemies while he was bleeding to death? Father, please forgive them for they know not what they do. The mind of Christ is the mind that he wants us to have. Self-sacrifice. I know I should cuss you out, but I can't. I know I should be upset to the point to where it affects my emotions and my emotions turn into, but I can't because the Bible says I can be angry, but I can't sin in that anger because I have the mind of Christ. Imagine what it was like for Jesus to be older than his mother, but submit to her. To be greater than the Pharisees and Sadducees, but still answer every question that they wanted. Imagine what it was like for an infinite God to die. Think about that for just a second. I am infinite, but I'll take away my infinite God-like title and die. Why? Because I trust that the Holy Spirit will bring me back to infinite. He became a slave to sleep when the Bible tells us that he never sleeps nor slumbers. He became a slave to time. He became a servant to hunger. He took on all the things that he did not need to because of the word, again, that I said in the Greek that I don't remember. The word says, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. 
What does Jesus want for you? He wants you to empty yourself. Empty yourself of everything that the world has told you you're supposed to have. He could not die as God. He could not save you as God. He could not be a representation of how we are supposed to live as God. As amazing as God is, being God was no benefit from him or for him when it came to you. And he loved you so much that he was willing to not be God for you. How much do you love the person next to you that you are willing to not grasp onto your riches, grasp onto your skin color, grasp onto how you were raised, grasp onto your thought process. Because the same way that Jesus met me in the prison to tell me who he was, he is the same God today. And he wants to tell you who he is, but not for his benefit, for your benefit.